so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! More hot takes than Brian Keselowski, it's Motorsport 101. We've got two tickets to the gun show. Hello, everyone. Filling in for your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. I'm RJ O'Connell, and welcome to episode 230 of Motorsport 101. Thank you all so very much for joining in and listening to us uh, wherever you may be listening to us around the world. Uh, let's introduce the crew for our show. We got a lot to get through. First, let's welcome from his home in New York, uh, Ryan King. Hello, Ryan. Good to see you. Hey, uh, glad to be here. Uh, good way to distract myself from, uh, you know, the Knicks probably losing tonight and also don't have to think about, hey, who was the one person on the Baseball Writers of America voting panel who did not vote for Derek Jeter to be in the Hall of Fame. An American hero, that's who. (laughs) (laughs) Look, man, if Ken Griffey Jr. couldn't get unanimous vote, plus you already got Mariano Rivera with 100% of the votes. Yeah, I'm kind of upset that the one one dude that gets 100% of the vote is Mariano. Really? Really? I'm, I'm not really. I'm just more upset that... A genuinely fun and likable team that was not my own has been caught red-handed in the biggest cheating scandal since the 1919 Black Sox. Uh, But Motorsport 101 will have less consistent banging than a Minute Maid Park dugout. (laughs) Joining us on a show where we will have uh, what we have dubbed the Winter Sports Car Dash um, from our New England Bureau, it's Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. Uh, technical issues can't keep a good Doom Slayer down. Very good, very good, very good. Uh, and also, speaking of winter sports car uh, events, Chris DeHardy is joining us live from... Uh, Chris, why don't you explain where you're at? Well, uh, eight months ago, I was in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Media Center, and uh, now I can say I've gone to the other uh, big super speedway in America. Greetings from the radio room number one in the media center of the Daytona International Speedway. This is uh, surely a different venue. I can tell you that much right now. And uh, Dre, I'm so sorry you don't have a footprint here in this media center like you did back in May when I was on that one. Also, um, I love how you don't acknowledge that Talladega exists after the events of last night. Talladega is 2.66 miles long. Uh, we're talking about two and a half mile speedways. And for those of you wondering, uh, iRacing.com, for whatever reason, in its infinite wisdom, decided to put the fixed IndyCar series at Talladega this week. <laughs> I have streamed two races in the Motorsport 101 Discord and both, for lack of a better term, ended in tears. Hey, by the way, um, for those of you who are part of the Motorsport 101 Discord uh, or are planning to join it, um, send any one of the hosts an invite. We'll be glad to have you on board. We're making some new changes. We're expanding everything. We're making everything much cooler going into 2020. It's a new year. It's a new attitude. 
There's going to be more video content. There's going to be more social media presence. It's going to be good. Um, the new Attitude got- Era? Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, we are going to be the cure for the common motorsport podcast. The days of saying your prayers, uh, eating your vitamins, and uh, accepting the fact that Sebastian Vettel is completely washed up unconditionally are over. Um, <laughs> we got a lot That's to talk gonna about. going to go down well. <laughs> Um, we're, we got a lot to talk about on this 230th episode, including Formula E in Santiago, Chile. We've got news from F1, F2, F3. We've got Super Formula W Series, IndyCar, MotoGP, World Superbike. We've got a re- mini recap of the Dakar Rally. We've got a preview of the Rolex 24 and the Bathurst 12 Hours. It is a packed show, so we thank you very much for listening in. We hope you stick around to the end. Places you can find us, as you always have done uh, throughout this Motorsport 101 journey. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us personally, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at C Buckley 917, at C Hardy, and at RJ O'Connell. And if you really, really like us, Your financial support at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 helps make this podcast and this community what it is. For $5, you get early access to all of our shows. And for $10, you can get in the supporters club of our new and improved Discord channel, where you can listen into these shows live as they're being recorded. A massive shout out to our listeners who are here for the start of the show Henry Chapman is here, Tony Black and Mild is here, um, Stephen Ryan's here, Vakesh is here, Jason Poland is here, um, we got uh, Brian Glennon's here, and Zoe Hamilton listening in, uh, the wonderful Zoe Hamilton listening in, it's gonna be a good show, so thank you very much for tuning in. Um, well, we got a lot to talk about here, so why don't we get started with... Uh, with the with the greatest with the best name of any event on the Formula E calendar, it's the Antofagasta Minerals Chilean E Prix, and it's two tickets to the Gun Show right after this. My goodness, so Formula E is back in action. Fellas, we got a new winner on our hands, King. Man, oh man, have... just when you thought, hey, maybe to cheater back. To cheater finally gonna start the season off with a win. Oh no, what's happening? Oh, he's coming back. Oh, around the outside. Oh lord, it's Max Gunther. Holy Jesus, two decisive overtakes. At the sweeping turn eight at the Circuit Parquet O'Higgins, or as been anglicized by a number of British media outlets, O'Higgins Park. <laughs> because to some people, it's still Ivory Coast to them. None of this Cote d'Ivoire bullshit. But yes, BMW I Andretti Racing's Maximilian Gunther took his first career victory. Remember, he finished in a podium position on the road in the last weekend at Adria, but had that podium taken away from him, not so much. This time, he keeps the win, and it's his first career victory, making him the youngest Formula E winner in history at just 22 years of age. 
Um, this is pretty special from a young driver who, uh, who has been, who had been rated as a very, very strong talent, even going back to his days last year with Dragon, who, let's be real, he really overperformed the potential of that team at times. And King, it's great to see that he's finally in a situation where his talent can really be showcased, where he can consistently fight for victories and podiums. Yeah, I mean, it it felt like it was a matter of time, pretty much. He was the consensus pick for driver of the year last year, and I think him getting his first win is more of a bigger deal for the series than him himself, where he is not only the youngest winner in the series, but he's also the youngest driver in the series, period. He started from the front row well enough, uh, Mitch Evans of Jaguar, Mitch, bruh, led uh, both both phases of qualifying to take pole position. It was Evans and Gunther on the front row to start the race. Gunther starts well enough, but not as well as Pascal Verlein from third, who immediately slotted into second place. And almost immediately, we have carnage. We have four wide passing attempts going into the hairpin turn and that do not go as well as hoped. No, 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 no. We're... Uh... A lot of drivers had issues going into that first hairpin because, uh, well, first off, first off, this is not the same circuit as the last time we came out to Santiago, where that chicane in the middle of that long sweeping turn eight is is gone now. It's just the longest straight on the calendar into a corner, which you have, you know, the high speeds on the calendar into a curved braking zone, and you're going to get some intense moments yeah like immediately on the first lap you could see like i believe it was alexander sims trying to dive bomb as the fourth car in a four wide attack drivers were piled into each other i read in like some uh some discord groups that i'm in that this was just like absolutely disgraceful racing to which i mean i get it i know the full contact style of formula e on these compact street circuits is not everybody's cup of tea i get that and i understand that but at the same time i look at this race from a different perspective and i see a young driver with the top team being rewarded with his first win after making two sensational passes the first time to take the lead midway through the race after evans had burned both of his attack modes and the second with three corners to go on the final lap to take the win from antonio felix da costa Though, like, the drivers may have driven aggressively, but they were punished for it, either through, you know, you know, contact damage or being penalized by the stewards. That's right. Um, Oliver Rowland was such a driver. Um, Alexander Sims suffered accident damage that would have massive championship implications, as well as our reigning two-time champion, Jean-Eric Verne. Uh, both the TS to Cheetah cars did a pretty good job of making their way up through the field, but, you know, Vern's accident damage kind of left him in trouble. He eventually retired with 10 minutes to go, and there were times where it looked like Vern was holding up DaCosta for making forward progress at times. Yeah, I, like, everyone could see it. Don't know what Vern was trying to do out there by staying out and not pitting. Uh, it, it felt like he thought, that maybe if he just stays out and just drives, his, his car will just, you know, the damage piece will just break off and it'll be fine, but that wasn't the case. 
And as a result, it's left his uh, championship standing awfully compromised with his second DNF in three races. I should tell you that this is not even probably the most egregious example of teammates not going on. Like, Rocket Venturi Racing, uh, their cars were dialed in of Felipe Massa and Eduardo Martara, but they just couldn't get out of each other's way. Mm. Yeah, where it's... You saw that with not only the, the Venturis, but the with other teammates where they were just driving aggressively for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, obviously, I mean, Mortara and Massa had two top five cars locked in, but just because they just couldn't stop hitting each other. Uh, I'm watching the replay back. I'm watching Daniel Lapp just punt Sam Bird around. He made an incredible comeback to finish in 10th. But obviously the big story of the race, uh, in addition to the driver's eye camera, which, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> we have done visor cams before, but that's probably the most authentic, true-to-life experience of what a driver gets to see on a racing track. And it's it's trippy, and I love it. Yeah, I like it reminds me it. of the uh, the champ car visor cam from from back in the day. Oh damn! Could you? Yeah, just think we're catching up to technology from 15 years ago. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> but yes, but yes. 23, 23 minutes to go in the race. Um, Matt Gunther sets up a brave outside pass around Mitch Evans to take the lead. Again, Evans had burned off both of his attack modes by then, trying to break away from the field, but ultimately it backfired on his chances of winning. Um, then we get to the the uh, the end stages of the race. So it's uh, getting down to crunch time in this one. Uh, Matt Sigunther has at this point gotten to the lead, but Antonio Felix DaCosta um, has charged his way through the field, and with two minutes 30 to go, they pile into that hairpin curve, and DaCosta just pile drives into the right side pot of Gunther, moves him out of the way to take the lead, and you're thinking, right, there's no way anybody is catching the greatest four-note sequence in Formula E, AFDC. Yeah, where, where uh, that move into the hairpin... I like Antonio. It seemed by the looks of it that he thought that was the the final move. Him just you know hip checking little Maxi Gunther out of the way was going to be the end of it. But no, uh, little did we know, uh, Antonio Felix Acosta was running into temperature issues with his, with his battery, and a lot of people don't know. Once the Formula E cars, once their battery reaches a critical temperature, it'll just start failing. It'll just shut off the car. Yeah, it's like, okay, so like Cam and Chris, get to get you to chime in a bit, you ever notice that like your uh, your phone or your laptop starts running a little weird when it runs hot, does a lot of things at once? Slowly. <laughs> yeah, the, the less I say about this, the less I say about this race, the better. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that at sec in a second, uh, and it was not just uh, DaCosta that ended up with uh, with uh, problems with their with his battery. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but yeah, with three corners to go on the final lap, um, DaCosta holds the inside line. But just as he did when he got around Evans, Matsigunther sweeps past him on the outside to take the lead and take the victory. His first Formula E victory in the extreme heat and the track in Santiago, Chile, and the second win in three races for BMW iAndretti Motorsport, who have only gotten one car in the points all season, but still maintain the points lead in the team's championship off Ooh. the strength of those two victories. Yep, because 
so far through three races, only one driver has able was able to finish all three races in the points. Yeah, and he drives for a different German manufacturer. Um, I'm really pleased with uh, Matt C. Gunther. He's uh, another one of those drivers like Nick DeVries, like Mitch Evans, who has made Formula E a career move and not a fallback. And this has really worked for him, considering all the mess that he went through with Dragon. You know, was he going to be pulled out of the car midseason despite not really doing anything wrong? Um, getting this ride with BMW to begin with, he's he showed those flashes of speed in Saudi Arabia. And it's good that they've come to the forefront in Santiago. And you kind of get the feeling like perhaps this is the start of something big for a driver who has proven to be as good as any one of the current young Formula One prospects of today, but just never got that opportunity. Uh, and I feel like very big things are to come. We're all pretty high on Maximilian Gunther. Uh, to take nothing away from the drive that Antonio Felix Acosta put in to come from the middle of the grid to finish in second on a day where his teammate Jean-Eric Verne seemed to implode. Um, speaking of Nick DeVries, our reigning Formula 2 champion, he had a very good day at the office, but unfortunately does not keep his final place on the podium in third. Yes, he, he missed out on getting his maiden podium due to a penalty. Uh kind of like I was surprised that people weren't making the usual jokes of there being a wave of post-race penalties because there were a lot more than usual um I would like to read this note from our friend Hazel Southwell for Inside Electric who uh, took the time to explain many of the post-race penalties from the Santiago Epri. South of Van Dorn's side of the Mercedes garage kicked us off pre-Friday shakedown with overcooled coolant amassing a 1500 euro fine towards the free bar at the FIA Gala this year. Might seem a bit harsh to say your current has to have a certain minimum temperature, but, well, chemistry is complicated and sometimes colder things heat up faster and more unstably. Mercedes then made the same coolant temperature error on DeVries' car in the race, gaining him a five-second time penalty that saw him finish third on track but be penalized from the podium and eventually finish fifth behind Pascal Verlein in fourth. But all that considered, that doesn't take away from the job that DeVries has done in early in 2020. Uh, this move's really working out for him. And shout out Stoffel Van Dorn finishing in sits, the only driver who's finished points, finished in the points in all three rounds this season, which has put him in the championship lead on a day where Alexander Sims, the previous points leader, retired early due to uh, collision damage. As we run through the rest of the field, Lucas Degrassi for Audi finishing in 7th. James Collado and the other Jaguar scoring his first championship points in 8th. Felipe Massa, despite not getting out of Eduardo Mortar's way, still finishes in 9th. And Sam Bird, despite being punted off by Daniel Apt after an early spin, finishes in 10th. But I want to talk about Oliver Turvey just making it to Super Pole and running in the top 10 most of the day in a Neo Triple Three. That is a mild to moderate miracle, all things considered, King. <laughs> yeah, considering that his teammate, uh, Makuin Maku Hai, was all the way in the back for pretty much the entirety of the race, it was insane. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, Oliver Turvey is doing uh, a lot of the heavy lifting at that team, which is still very much in flux. That was nothing short of a miraculous accomplishment and a testament that Oliver Turvey is still a fantastic, fantastic Formula E driver when the when the tick tips on the line. And he, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, Machikwa, I. I worry that maybe Formula E might be a touch out of his depth, which which is fine. Not everybody can adapt to high-level single-seater racing. That's perfectly fine. I'm just saying maybe this isn't working out for Ching Lama. Um, Cam, uh, Porsche. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Not the best of weekends. Neil Yanni's uh, race ends after two laps on the board with collision damage. Andre Lauder disqualified from the race for going over the maximum 200 kilowatt power usage. It looks so good. In Things that could have gone better. Yeah, to say the least. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, I know it's early days. They've got the podium under their belt. They're better at this yeah, stage the, than the we pace probably wasn't, uh, Yeah, they're better than I thought they would be at this stage. And the pace wasn't bad. Um, they think they were only one and a half tenths off of the fight for Super Bowl. Yeah. So it's not all negative, but man. Lucas DeGrassi went from twenty second to finish seventh. That's that's very impressive. I don't like the man's politics or social issues, but that's an impressive drive. God. James Collado went from eighteenth to eighth. Sam Bird went from sixteenth and spinning to finish in tenth. Uh, here's a look at the rest of your non-finishers. Again, Oliver Turvey in 11th, Nico Miller in 12th, Sebastian Buemi in 13th, Nissan Edams had a shocker of a weekend. Buemi 43 seconds off the win, Daniel Lapp last car in the lead lap in 14th, uh, Robin Frenz a lap down in 15th, Ching Waman 16th, Oliver Rowland 17th, the last of the classified finishers, Jerome D'Ambrosio was not classified, um, Brendan Hartley retired in the pits, as did John Eric Fern, Eduardo Matara, Alex Sims, and Neil Yanni all retire from collision damage, and Andre Lauderer at the back with a disqualification for exceeding the maximum energy usage. DeVries, Mueller, Buemi, D'Ambrosio, Apt, uh, uh, Ma, and Lauderer all picking up penalties. Um, and again, Inside Electric has a very good uh, article explaining all of those penalties. So go check them out at inside-electric.com for the recap of the Santiago E-Pre. Um, Kane, what'd you make of this one? Uh, I'd probably say it is easily the best Formula E race in this season so far and probably better than most races last season. I'll say this. It is definitely the very best Formula E race this decade. <laughs> so, so you're saying... It, really? Oh. <laughs> I Okay, I'll say this. I don't really care how good it was. Because we couldn't fucking watch it in the United States without a tape delay. Yeah, there is that. That's part of the reason why I didn't get to catch much but the highlights of this. Um, uh, I would say possibly. it's... Uh, mm, no, it's they definitely worth watching it. the re-upload. Yeah, it's worth watching going back and watching the re-upload because it's despite us telling you exactly what happened, uh, it it really doesn't do justice to how how steadily paced the race was. There was yeah. very few moments where there was a large lull. There was it felt like there was always something to pay attention to at any moment during the race. 
Yeah. No, I can imagine. Like, I'm kicking myself that I didn't get to catch more of it. I, I really need to rededicate myself to watching more Formula E uh, if our broadcast partners will let us do so. So, Drivers' Championship standings after three races and two race meetings. Stoffel Van Dorn proving that, well, yes, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz are top-tier drivers. Stoffel Van Dorn really deserved better in F1. He is currently top of the pile on 38 points with two podiums and a sixth-place finish. Alexander Sims, after his retirement, slips to second on 35 points. Sam Bird, third on 28th. Matsy Gunther, with his win, jumps into fourth in the standings on 25 points. Lucas Degrassi, fifth on 24. Oliver Rowland sits on 22. Two drivers on 21 points. Antonio Felix da Costa ahead of Mitch Evans on count back with his second place finish this past weekend. Andre Lauderer, ninth on 18 points. He holds the, he holds the tiebreaker over Eduardo Mortara, also with 18 points. And Nick DeVries, also on 18 points. Pascal Verline 12th on 12 points. Robin Frins and James Collado each with 10. Daniel Lapp with 8 points. Jean-Eric Fern just 4 points. 3 races into the season for our defending 2-time champion. He's ahead of Massa, Hartley, and Ambrosio, who each have 2 points apiece. Turvey, Buemi, Mueller, Yanni, and Ma all scoreless through 3 races. In the team's championship, BMW, I Andretti Motorsport, representing the good old U.S. of A., First place with 60 points. Mercedes-Benz are second with 56 points. Virgin, third with 38 points. Audi are fourth with 32 points. Jaguar, fifth with 31. DS Tachita, sixth with 25. Nissan Edam, seventh with 22. Venturi, eighth with 20. Porsche, ninth with 18 points. Mahindra, tenth on 14th. Giat's Dragon, uh, two with two points in 11th. And uh, Neo without a points, Neo triple three. And no, you did not hear me incorrectly. Through the first three races of the season, Sebastian Buemi has not scored a point and has a best finish of 12th. So between him, between Jean-Eric Verne with just the four points, uh, tough times for a few established names uh, who have had numerous successes throughout uh, Formula E, of course, will be back in a month's time for Le Grand Premio de Ciudad de Mexico. I, I completely butchered that, but yes, it's the Mexico City E-Prix at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez on the 15th of February 2020. That will be the net stop and the second and final leg of Formula E's Latin American swing. Also, I do got to say um, on an off-topic subject like the Electric Racing Academy... That, that's looking pretty dope. Yes, it's going to be awesome to have an electric F4 championship. Oh, yes, indeed. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Well, We're going to take a quick break. I just realized because we don't have any sponsors just yet, apart from our wonderful Patreon backers. And we'll get through a ton of news updates that we missed in the last fortnight. Into the news segment we go. Uh, we have cut a lot to catch up with, including some news that came out today, Chris. 
Uh, this is where I turn to you, our resident IndyCar outsider, because AJ Foyt Racing has brought in a new face to help bolster its lineup and bring the team some much-needed sponsorship. Yeah, it's a new face for the team, but not necessarily a new face to IndyCars. Charlie Kimball will be back in IndyCar Racing full-time next year. Uh, he's going to be running in the four-car. Um, now, I haven't actually... I, I barely glanced at the release before starting recording, and like it just looks like it's it, it's a cluster when it comes to the 14 car with how they're doing all the driver swap because they need a lot of consistency with that car, um, and they're not getting it with having um, was it Bourdais and Kellett Canon. It's it's definitely taking a ride on the Hot Mess Express. So. So hold on, am I? Because I I know this was not announced, but you're saying that there may be multiple drivers in the 14 car come next year. Well, that's what the it was coming hot off the press is that that's what I'm what I'm hearing is that like, you know, Kellett supposedly is looking at trying to get into IndyCar. I mean, he's been in Indy Lights now for what three years? Yeah, four, that would be uh, Dalton Kellett. Dalton um, Kellett, yeah. Um, uh, Bourdais was is in the rumor mill from what I've heard, and you know Tony Canon's trying to get a full season together, and I've heard that there sh- there would be a mix of all three in that car if if the funding is right. But it's <sighs> there's so much to still be discussed to still be determined with that. But that's that's what a lot of people have have heard around, and like I, I don't know what to think of it, frankly. We're looking at a team that had, you know, if you list, read uh, one of Marshall Pruitt's uh, columns a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, they were doing a lot more development work with shaker rigs and all, but apparently a miscalibration um, caused a lot of issues this past season. Not necessarily good for them, and they need to try and get back up on the wagon. Now, having Charlie Kimball there, I actually rate as a very good move for the team because, mm-hmm. um, you know, look at who his dad is, Gordon Kimball. Charlie has an engineering background to him that um, I hate to say it could have been the deciding the big deciding factor between him and the rest of Carlin at this year's yeah. Indy 500 or this past year's Indy 500 I should say I think he was saying this past year um, note to self do that more often um, yeah. but yeah Charlie um, you know with his engineering background should is a good should be a good fit for AJ Foyt Racing it's just. You know they're trying. They're still trying to play catch up from behind the eight ball, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, here's hoping. I agree. They, they really are in a position where they're better off, not necessarily going for the fastest driver they can pick, but someone who can help them out of the hole they're in. No, I, I agree. And you know, it, in terms of like bringing in a driver with sponsorship money, you can't get much worse than Charlie Kimball, who I know is pedestrian at times. You know, what he reminds me of he's like the IndyCar equivalent of NASCAR driver Paul Menard. You know, he's largely there for the sponsorship that he brings, and he's not the most exciting dude, but he's not going to tear up too much of your equipment, and he's pretty damn reliable, all things considered. And he'll I, win you one race. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. He has won at Mid-Ohio before when he was back at Ganassi. So, yeah, very interesting situation at Fort. Damn, I thought the WT-40 was going to take the squeaking out of my chair, and yet here we are, still in the same spot in 2020 with the squeaky chair. Um, SpongeBob, uh, the spirit of SpongeBob's boots is clearly in your chair. We like it. um, 
some things that are different for 2020 is James Hinchcliffe's new sponsor. Um, we have been keeping tabs on what the mayor of Hinchtown will be doing in 2020 as he looks to break from his Arrow McLaren SP shackles that have bound him. Uh, he has, he doesn't have a team, but he does have a sponsor. An, a, an employee from Genesis slid in his DMs on Instagram, and this is how it all got started. So let that be a hint for everybody. <laughs> if you're going to slide in DMs, have money. <laughs> so yes because of a Mo twitter money, dm less problems sorry notorious big you got it wrong yeah so it's because of uh, a genesis employee they're a customer experience and call center technology firm selling to uh, selling their products to mid-sized and large businesses james hinchcliffe now has a sponsor for whatever team he should sign for in the indianapolis 500 in the Rumor going around is that it will be a third Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan entry, which was kind of the rumor that was circulating immediately after he was displaced from his Aero McLaren ride. Um, I've seen a livery, I've seen a mock-up that was leaked around. Um, Hinchcliffe would carry the number 55, the car would be predominantly orange-white, and I'm guessing it'll have Honda power because he is, after all, Honda of Canada's boy. Was there ever any doubt that he was going to go to a Chevy Honda team? I mean, let's face it, they with how much he's been with them the last few years, there's no way he was going to go to a Chevy team. I'm happy that he has a sponsor. It's just a case of, you know, hey, who's got the spare seat? Um, yeah, I'm glad that he's got money behind him. That's that's one thing that a lot of drivers need nowadays, especially in this day and age. Oh, I agree, and and I know he'll be he'll be really fired up to make the most of what races he can get. Um, stranger thing have stranger things have happened before. Um, speaking of very strange things, we know that Team Penske is the all all conquering juggernaut in pretty much whatever sport that they tackle. Um, that includes supercars, and that's about to come together in a very strange way because Scott McLaughlin was testing a Penske Indy car very recently in the past couple of weeks at uh, Sebring International Raceway. But there is talk that McLaughlin could make his IndyCar race debut this year on a part-time basis. I like this. I really, really do. Um, oh, I do too. Here's the thing with McLaughlin. Personality. We, If there's one thing that racing people love... It's personalities. And here's the thing. you can, it, Personalities you love or personalities you hate, but it gets people talking. And I saw all of the personality I needed to see from Scott McLaughlin when he finished second at, um, what was it, Adelaide in 2014, I believe it was. Yeah. Like, what was it? Second yeah, race in that, the Volvo. That and was his breakout moment. He's yes. battling, uh, I believe it was. Jamie Wincup. Was it Lounge? It was Jamie Wincup back yeah, then. Lounge I was trying to think race. it was one of those two. McLaughlin passes him on the final corner. He gives the best interview because he's young and he probably hasn't had much media training where he just charmingly drops an F-bomb during the middle of his conversation to the roar of the applause, to the roar of the crowd. And I think he, and you know, him quickly, you know, apologizing for it, but it was just, he was so excited. He's like a kid that went into the Lego store and his mom gave him 20 bucks to go buy whatever he wanted, you know? Because, I mean, when you're a kid, 20 bucks is a lot of money. So, you know, <laughs> people love that. You know, people who are genuinely excited to win and, you know, do well like that, especially when you got a team like Gary Rogers Motorsports who are running a, the Volvo C60 at the time, you know, no other team was running it. Um, 
yeah, genuine excitement there. And not only that, he's a he's a damn good racer too. Um, yeah, he is two time Supercars champion, Bathurst one thousand winner. Um, he's done. I'll be in certain circumstances. Um, he is a very talented driver, and again, he's just twenty six years old and has seemingly accomplished so so much already in his career. Um, and he it, was he was within a second of the fast times on his first times. attempt. On his first attempt, and he said himself that his neck was coming apart. (laughs) Because, of course, a V8 supercar generates nowhere near the downforce that an Indy car produces. So the report from Motorsport Network's David Malsher says that Scott McLaughlin could make, and this is not confirmed, that he could make his Indy car race debut in 2020. Obviously, it does have to line up with his supercar's commitments. That comes first. Uh, but I would love to see it. And if you consider the amount of like touring car drivers that have come over and had success, Dario Franchitti, Robert Wickens, if you want to consider GT500 touring cars like some Pat Ants and Felix Rosenquist, Scott McLaughlin fits the mold. He is that good. He won 18 out of 32 V Supercar races this year. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Virgin Australia Supercar races. Um you know, in that championship, when you've got gaps that are very, very tight throughout, it's like you could almost argue it's the Australian IndyCar series uh, in that sense yeah. because gaps are incredibly close there. And, you know, basically he just took a sledgehammer and said, hey, Field, uh, line up your heads because here you go. He was like Mario with the King Koopas with the, with the hammer. <laughs> he was the only person on this show who gave Mark Marquez a run for his money for the, the beatdown of the year. He is the only active supercars driver who has an award named in his honor on the Motorsport 101 Annual Awards Ceremony. Yeah, there's a reason why it's called Biscotti. Yeah, and if he brings that excitement to IndyCar right out of the box, oh boy. Oh, oh. If, he, if he launches it on someone with all his wheels locked up and makes the pass, he's automatically in the boys' stable. That's what got a lot of people on Newgarden side when he went uh, against Pagano at Gateway a couple of years ago. A lot of people liked that because, hey, he was aggressive. Elbows out. Boom. I'm going after the championship. I don't care who you are. So a lot of exciting things happening in the IndyCar paddock, and we're getting closer to the season opener at St. Pete, which we will see Ben Hanley because he has re-upped with Dragon Speed. He'll at least be at the season opener in St. Pete and potentially more races to come. Shall we go uh, to Formula One nets? There has been some developments at Williams. Uh, first and foremost, uh, and Nicholas not on Latifi the car, has... because of course not. No, of course not. Nicholas Latifi has picked his number. It's number six. That is a number that belonged to another famous driver who had a variation of Nicholas as their name, that being Nico Rosberg. The YouTuber. Yes, the, the YouTube sensation Nico Rosberg once ran the number six, just like Mark Martin. Is the number six's career over? No. No, it isn't. Didn't end for Ryan Briscoe. <laughs> um, I mean, there's been a lot of hubbub about, you know, this somewhat unproven rookie for a backmarker team picking a champion's number. And this made me think about a discussion me and King had, a uh, sidebar that we had about how Supercross does their number system, where basically you have to be a champion of Supercross to earn a single-digit career number. Yes, yes. It's like... Uh... 
also people forget that Supercross isn't the only championship that AMA does. They also had to do Pro Motocross, which is the quote-unquote outdoor season. And they mm-hmm. have they share a number system between the both. So if you win a championship in either, you get you get the honor of having a single-digit number for the rest of your career. Yeah, and if you're not a champion that has a single-digit number, you reserve the right to be bumped out of single-digit number status. Uh, just something to think about. Also, Williams have a new primary test driver. It's not Jamie Chadwick. Oh, uh, King. Sorry, King. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. no, Sorry, King, King. That's probably a good thing. This is Williams we're talking about. <laughs> um, so, Chanock Nissany was probably one of the most infamous um, Friday free practice drivers of all of Formula One history. His son, Roy, is a slight but touch better, and he's got a primary test driver role with Williams, who are who is injecting a ton of Israel-based sponsorship into that car in that seat. Um, this has led this story of Nissany's, you know, comeback from a year out of racing and getting a test drive with Williams to be framed in a really questionable manner, hasn't it? Yes, because uh, Nissany, he's being backed by uh, a billionaire who immigrated to Israel from from Canada, and mm-hmm. he's opened up a lot of ventures to promote Israel globally, including starting uh, a pro cycling team called uh, Israel Cycling Academy. This year, they'll be rebranded as uh, Israel Startup Nation, and they'll it'll be their first season on the UCI Pro Tour alongside other teams such as Bahrain McLaren. And, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot, I would, this, this whole situation is very divisive. Uh, like, I think uh, the Giro d'Italia, the probably one of the biggest races of the year, probably only second to the Tour de France. Two years ago, they held their opening stages in Israel, and a lot of cycling fans pretty much boycotted the opening stages of Giro d'Italia because they just didn't want it. Like, it was being politicized to promote Israel. Yeah, because uh, because... Israel, as we know, it's it's a very troublesome government. It's a very troublesome situation that I think people are now more aware of, and um, you know the you know attacks on Israel are being interpreted as, as attacks on the entire Jewish community by people who want to conflate arguments and twist the whole situation. It's a discussion that's that's a little bit too big for this podcast i feel we don't stray away from politics here but it's it's a whole mess and i yeah, don't it would, like it would the... take us a long time for us to unpack it oh yeah yeah and i i don't i personally am not a fan of the way that it's being framed as like it's an achievement for israel it could just be a very good achievement for roy nissany for working hard to get back into racing to begin with which by the way he will be racing with the trident formula 2 team who finished last in the championship. Well, then Williams and Trident should be one and the same for him. Yeah, um, I know that like his goal is to try to get to Formula 2 by 2021, but I don't know if that's happening, barring some mm. strange circumstances. Yeah, a lot of stuff would have to happen for, for Nissany to get to Formula 1 by next year. I think King's still upset about that Asian Formula 3 race. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You've got 45 seconds. 
Okay, so Asian Formula 3, last weekend they had a round at Yas Marina, and uh, I should note that this round, these three races were not broadcasted. Uh, don't know why. Uh, at the start of the year, Asian Formula 3 said they would livestream all their races. Uh, that's not happening now, I guess. But, on poll for race 2, due to setting the fastest lap in race 1, was Jamie Chadwick. And, uh, unfortunately, Jamie Chadwick won the race, lights the flag. Uh, but, she rolled in her box and was penalized I believe 20 seconds for a false start, and that was enough of the time enough of the time penalty for for her to lose the race victory. Also, Damn in it. That, also in that race was Tatiana Calderon in race two. Uh, she was taken out from behind in that race, and how do we know? She posted the onboard footage on her Instagram. Uh, she was taken out from behind, but. Instead of the driver who hit her being penalized five places in race three, she was penalized five places for race three. Wait, so they made the Gran Turismo Sport penalty system real? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that is your Asian Formula 3 series recap. Uh, speaking of Tatiana Calderon, no, this is not our transitional Rolex 24 preview. This is Super Formula news. Tatiana Calderon's going to race in Super Formula for Hondo and become the first woman in the series since Sarah Cavanaugh in 1997. Also confirmed when Honda launched their program, Yuri Vips will be driving for Team Mugen in Super Formula full-time in 2020. Um, Yay! It's, uh, it's... The Calderon signing was a bit of a surprise, and I think uh, this had to do with Honda having to improvise when another one of their drivers decided they really wanted to stay where they are, and we'll talk about that shortly, but I'm excited for Calderon. She'll be driving with three Bondrago Corsa, owned by Honda legend Rio Michigami. I'm very excited to see how she does, and I'm also very excited to see what Yuri Vips does with a full season under his belt. Um... And then, of course, you'll have mainstays like Naoki Yamamoto, Nirei Fukuzumi, Tadasuke Makino, young guys like Toshiki Oyu, uh, all a part of that program. Uh, Toyota will be announcing their lineups shortly. Speaking of Formula 2, let's let's get into Formula 2 now. Um, we got a new team! We got a new team, King! Yes, high-tech have arrived in Formula 2. Increasing the number of cars in the field to uh, 22. Uh, oh, man! <laughs> and let's see what have high tech done recently well high tech are the uh they're the single team in the w series they maintain and operate all the cars in the w series that's true uh, are they still in formula three were they one yes. of the teams that got yes. a- approved in the merger yes they were one of the teams that were approved um they did uh they they had yuri vips last year um in the European F3 Championship, they employed the likes of George Russell, Alex Palu, uh, British Formula 3. They had uh, they had experience in that. So, uh, I would say they are an above-average, uh, you know, they're, they're an above-average junior team. I really hope that they do well in Formula 2. They... They haven't really operated a team on this level in over a decade. Because uh, I I believe they were in one of the early GP2 seasons. I don't remember which one, but they were there for like a year and then left. 
It says they were part of the 2005 GP2 series. Um, I'm just checking to confirm that, but yes, as we're... Oh yeah, it was high-tech PK racing uh, fielding <laughs> Nelsinho PK and uh, Alexander Negrau uh, for that championship season. Uh, there were some more signings as well. Um, a couple of... One, we mentioned on the show that it was pretty much a done deal that Yuki Tsunoda was going up to Formula 2 with Carlin. That was made official. Um, one thing that was uh, that was absent from Honda's announcements was Nobuhara Matsushita. He was not on any of their factory driver lists. Um, he gave an exclusive interview with Autosport Web, Autosport Magazine, not that Autosport, Autosport Japan, and basically said that he's staying in Formula 2, but mentioned in one sentence that he hasn't announced his team yet. But further on down the interview mentions that he got a very lucrative offer from MP Motorsport, uh, who have already signed rookie Felipe Drogovic, and apparently have signed multiple engineers away from Prima, and has basically said, look, I can't say who I'm racing for yet, but I'm basically telling you that I'm going to race for MP Motorsport in 2020. (laughs) Gotta love that subtlety. (laughs) It's unofficially official. But now it's official. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I would expect that to be confirmed in the weeks to come. Uh, So we've got Tsunoda at Carlin, Nissany and Trident, and we're waiting on Matsush to be confirmed alongside Felipe Drugovic at MP Motorsport, which, man, uh, talk about MP Motorsport going from rags to Drugovic's. Look, it was a hit in the Discord server, and I want to try it in audio form, okay? (laughs) Formula 3 has also had some signings. We know who will be driving for HWA Race Lab. And it's not Sophia Florsch. Oh, goddammit. <laughs> um, it is Jake Hughes, the returning Jake Hughes, along with second-generation youngsters Jack Dewan, Mick's son, and Enzo Fittipaldi, uh, grandson of Emerson. That is a very surprising lineup if you associate HWA with Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about it. HWA, of course, the Mercedes-affiliated team, going with the top prospect of the Ferrari Driver Academy and one of the top prospects of the Red Bull Junior Team. Should point out, Ferrari Driver Academy also added some more reinforcement in the form of Charles' younger brother, Arthur Leclerc. Yes, Arthur Leclerc will be in uh, Formula Regional European Championship, which, very interesting. Now I actually have to watch that championship. Thanks, look, Ferrari. Look, something I'm we'll be saying a lot of this year. <laughs> look, man, he's got a he's got a long way to go to fill the shoes of one zesty Frederick Vesti. True, 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 true. And on the subject of regional formula championships, uh, the W Series not necessarily regional; they are international, and they are expanding their reach. They are adding two dates on the United States Grand Prix and the Mexico Grand Prix weekends for 2020. Yes, they'll be supporting the United States Grand Prix Coda and the Mexico City Grand Prix. Yes, the name of the race has changed. It is now the Mexico City Grand Prix. 
So your updated calendar for the 2020 W Series, Agora Drive in St. Pete on May 30th, Anderstorp June 13th. We should, should know, St. Petersburg, Russia. Don't show up in Florida expecting to be a W Series race. Darn. <laughs> so yes, uh, Russia, May 30th, uh, Sweden, June 13th at Anderstorp, which that's a very curious place to race. Uh, Monza, June 27th. The Norris Ring on July 11th, Brands Hatch August 23rd, Assen on September 5th, Coda on October 24th, the first of a back-to-back with uh, Mexico City on October 31st, and there are no non-championship rounds announced as of yet. Should we go back to Formula 1 for a bit, because I know there were a couple things that we missed. Uh, some circuit news. Uh, first, we know what the latest proposal of the Miami GP circuit looks like, and it's going to avoid a lot of public roads. Um, well, one public road, to be <laughs> precise. Oh, yeah? Just one long public road that the local community was not excited that would be closed for a couple weeks for the Grand Prix. No. No, so instead they have basically made it into, uh, you know, the the new Circus pa- the new Caesar's Palace. <laughs> circus Caesar's Palace. Caesar's Palace. <laughs> Uh, and and we hear a friend of the show, Josh Wilcox's ears percolating. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting layout. There is uh, only, unfortunately, now only one overtaking zone on the track. Ah, uh, yes, because what one F one needed less of was overtaking. Posting a picture of it in the Discord. But I don't know if that picture is as wild as the latest circuit proposal, which is opening up in 2023 in uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, Cam, do you want to describe the uh, the proposal and the scene of this race that's happening? I ac- I have not seen it. Oh wait, I think I just realized what image it is. Is, yeah. is it the is it the image where the roller coaster oh, God, goes oh, under fuck, the bridge and it doesn't is. come out the other side? Now I, I I have some questions as to why Ferrari has entered the nineteen ninety two double floor car alongside their modern car. <laughs> I have many questions about why there is a walking bridge with a roller coaster underneath of it and a roller coaster that just seems to end like somebody has yet to finish their roller coaster tycoon two map. And With also, no fence fencing I'm either. surprised that guys, Stuart F1 is back. No, <laughs> Stuart also, F1 is back. We made it. Also, what did Saudi Arabia get a brand deal with Six Flags? Apparently, the Six Flags is uh, it's already there. This is the Six Flags oh, Kadia. Wait, they're building the circuit around the Six Flags. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a this is Six Flags. This is Six Flags Kadia. Um, this is a park that is in development that will be developed alongside the racetrack, which is slated for a 2023 launch, which means we get to have a whole new round of the old Saudi Arabia debate in about three years time. We got time. To yeah, we got time for hopefully things to cool off. Woo. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, well, <laughs> based on these as long as that dancing guy comes back, that's what matters to me. <laughs> oh my god, please let him be the Grand Marshal. No, and it... No, it has... <laughs> if it's, if it's just, at a sit... If it's I, built around a sits flags, I want Brian Tyler's theme to be replaced by Vanga Boys We Like to Party just for that weekend. It'll make it all worth it. Oh lord. 
I, I think we should move on. I think we have actually more Williams news. Uh, yeah, we, oh, we covered no. Missany, we covered Latifi. Was there anything else we missed? Uh, apparently we're going to be rolling through the six. Oh yeah, we talked about Nicholas Latifi picking number six. Oh yep. lord, I blanked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much of a non-story it was. <laughs> much like Because George really, Russell's- who fucking cares? Were you mad when Pierre Gasly took Kamui Kobayashi's number ten? <laughs> were, no. were you were you mad when Lando Norris took Max Chilton's four? <laughs> were you mad when Robert Kubica took Rio Harriato's eighty-eight? <laughs> that's Dale Junior's number eight. I'll have you know. Actually, that's Dale Jarrett's eighty-eight. Oh, bruh, Daryl Walters' so, eighty-eight. No, at the back. I mean, Williams might as well enter a nineteen ninety-nine Ford Taurus. <laughs> Good grief! Race um, the truck. People love the truck. You know what we love? We love cult heroes. We love cult heroes, athletes of motorsport, who, even if they don't win races or championships, they do something that easily impresses us. Jacob Cornfile etched his name into Motorsport 101 lore forever uh, by jumping over another person with his motorcycle in the middle of a race, earning him the nickname Jumpman Cornfile. But sadly, because he... Couldn't get the sponsorship together for his 2020 season. Jacob Cornfile is announcing his retirement from motorsport, Man. which really Come on, sucks. IHOP. That was a perfect marketing <laughs> opportunity. The content writes itself. Yeah, can't believe us as a community couldn't rally and get Jacob Cornfile. We need to funnel the Patreon money into his career. <laughs> Jacob I don't think we have that kind of money. Yeah, he and he wrote, there was a press release that dropped saying that Jacob Cornfile was announced he'll no longer take part in the season due to financial reasons. Um, on his Instagram, he said, At the end of the season, I never imagined that this race, 2019 Valencia, would be the last race of my career in the MotoGP Championship. Uh, financial trouble means that Cornfile can no longer continue to participate on the world stage. He said he yep. still has a valid contract with the team, but he was forced to make this very important decision for my life. I should have started the season on a different budget than what I thought, what I hoped to have, and I wouldn't even have the certainty of reaching the race at Magello. I still feel like a winner, even if I never won the title. Uh, he had five podiums and a pole position in the world championship, and of course, one all-time leap of faith and over know, everybody. That, that was over ten full seasons in that class. Salute, Jacob. Even if you never won a championship, goddammit, you will always be a Motorsport 101 favorite. Um, so are we starting to segment Real Men of Genius here? Because that sounded a lot like a Real Men of Genius commercial from Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, Even if you were a champion, you'll always be a champion to us. Jacob oh. Jumpman Corfile. Um, Andrea Iannone has a hearing set for his doping case, uh, which means he'll be missing the first preseason test of the year. And yes, because uh, those who listened to the previous episode, where I enthusiastically ex- exclaimed, uh, B-Sample, um, unfortunately, the B-Sample allegedly also tested positive. <laughs> Dirty Ian keeps pissing hot. (laughs) So as a result, he won't be at the test. And Cam, you've got a good feeling that we have already seen the last of Andre Iannone as a MotoGP World Championship rider. He's so fucking frustrating. 
because we know how good he can be on a motorcycle. He brought Ducati back to the winner's circle. Yeah, there was a time where we were debating if Ducati dropped the wrong Andrea. Yeah. And his his career has crashed so far. from He led on an Aprilia. I know, right? We were just months removed from Andrea Iononi leading the Australian Grand Prix on his Aprilia, a team that is already struggling and did not need this to happen. Yeah, especially when, as mentioned as well on the previous show, Aprilia is bringing a brand new bike to the test. They're the only team, I believe, that is more or less starting over with their motorcycle. They need all the help they can get. And this is not going to help. Again, uh, it looks like the safest pick to replace him would be Bradley Smith. And ultimately, if Iannone is handed a two-year ban, um, he is 30 now. He's, he's done in this town. He's out There's a here. chance he could come back, but maybe in super bikes. But I'm not seeing a MotoGP return if he does indeed uh, get punished to the fullest extent. Yeah, and as also mentioned previously, these aren't things that you take by accident. Yeah. Uh, speaking of World Superbikes, um, we do have the entry list um, for the full 2020 season. Again, this is just kind of a recap, uh, catching us all up on things that we uh, had already known to this point. Uh, so among the factory teams, again, at Kawasaki, it's Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's. At Honda, it's Alvaro Batista and Leon Haslam. Ducati have Chaz Davies and Scott Redding. Yamaha's factory team has Michael Vandermark and Top Rack Razgatioglu, and BMW's team has Tom Sykes and Eugene Laverty. Um, among the independent teams, you have Leon Camier, Michael Ruben Rinaldi, Leandro Mercado, Sylvain Barrier, Xavi Forez, Maximilian Scheib, Federico Caracasulo, America's Garrett Gerloff, and Loris Baz and Takumi Takahashi, who will have a teammate to be announced later on in the days and weeks. It's worth noting as well, it just came out that, and oh my god, you haven't been able to say this in a long time. Oh? Haslam tops first day of World Superbike test on the new Honda. Oh god. Honda might be in it, y'all. Honda might be in this. Unfortunately, one Jonathan Ray did not run. So really, Mm -hmm. this is worthless. Yeah, let's see how this pans out and, uh, and uh, next test, once we get Jonathan Ray in the ballpark. Uh, we've also got uh, a ton... we got a ton of F1 launch dates that I that I that we need to catch up on. So, um, as of recording, here are the dates that we know of. Ferrari, February 11th. Renault, February 12th. McLaren, the 13th. Alfa Torre Mercedes, 14th. And Racing Point on the 17th, with still some to come. And we'll talk about those in subsequent episodes. Mercedes, happy Valentine's Day. Now prepare to get clapped. <laughs> oh my god. Daddy signs. Carlos signs. Father Jr. signs. <laughs> Carlos signs Jr. Yes, we expected a Spaniard in the car class of the Dakar Rally, the first to be held in around Saudi Arabia to be to feature a Spaniard, but it's probably not the one you were thinking. Certainly not the one I was thinking. Nah, I knew this was going to happen. Same oh, here. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos Sainz wins the, the Dakar Rally overall for the third time in his career, which is an incredible achievement for somebody who just turned 57 years old. Carlos Sainz is eternal. 
Carlos Sainz, endless. Carlos Sainz ending up winning the rally by a total of six minutes over your reigning champion, Nasser Alatia, in the first of the Toyotas. This will become important. Stefan Petterhans, elite 13-time winner, finishing at third in the car class. Um, so you know what you might be thinking. Well, what happened to Fernando Alonso? Ooh, uh, Fernando funny. Alonso had a very <laughs> eventful deck. <laughs> oh, tell me more about this. Let's see, uh, during, I believe, the second stage, he hit, uh, don't know what he hit, he hit something, but it required his car to be stopped and repaired, that sent him down a long ways, uh, there was another part where he lost his way and started driving against the direction of traffic and almost ran into his teammate, um, there was another time where he took a crest a bit too quickly and rolled his Toyota twice. Yeah. And then it busted the windshield, so they just kicked out the windshield, threw on some <laughs> goggles, and went on their way. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh... Alonzo knew that this was going to be a challenge, and obviously it did. I've, I've seen, like, Jackie saying that, you know, if he puts his mind to it, you know, he can, he can win the tackle. repeating itself again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, at least he didn't have to worry about last row qualifying this time out. Though, <laughs> probably the highlight of his Dakar rally was he ended up with a second place in a stage. But the person who won the stage was the first amateur to win a Dakar, a Dakar stage in 30 years. Oh. <laughs> Goodness gracious. In the car class, yeah. Um, in bikes, um... King, I regret to inform you that the KTM streak is over. Now, I know yes. what you might be thinking. Uh, KTM, aren't they kind of rubbish on, on road racing? Well, in off-road racing, they're pretty godlike. In fact, they had won every Dakar rally for Since like 20 straight Since, Since 2001. Since <laughs> Do you understand that there are listeners of this podcast who are who have not been alive since the last time uh, that the Dakar was won by uh, not a KTM in bikes? Oh, uh, man. KTM lost their way, um, and Honda got their first win since 1999, I believe, with uh, American Ricky Brabick. Oh, uh, actually, it is earlier than that. Uh, so the last time Honda won in the bike class was uh 19 it was 19 eight, yeah 1989 just yeah. after i was born goodness <laughs> gracious so it's been 30 years without a win for honda in the bike class yes oh, it's never goodness. never too long to break a streak <laughs> like la last time honda had won the bike class the pride and joy of honda's motorsports division was Ayrton senna the last time that Honda had won the bike class at the Dakar, not only was it still being run to the town of Dakar, but, you know, I was barely even born. Honda was about to hit a midlife crisis before they won this event, so that was very good for, for Brabeck to win the race. And I think uh, everybody at Honda, at that uh, Honda garage, will feel very proud, especially knowing that the loss that they suffered, which is... Right, transition now to talk about, you know, how difficult the Paris to Dakar rally is. It takes a it takes a hard, a huge toll on every one of its competitors. Like we don't cover rally raid off road racing, but we respect the hell out of everybody who takes this challenge because it is one of the most dangerous 
it's a true adventure. It's one of the most taxing events in all of racing, in all of sports. It really is. Um, And we were reminded of that on the 12th of January when we lost uh, veteran rider Paulo Gonçalves of Portugal. He He was one of the few riders left who had bridged the gaps between the race being run in Africa, Latin America, and now in Asia. He was already having a a pretty um he was in the middle of the event he actually uh worked tirelessly to get his bike fixed on the third stage um he crashed uh 276 kilometers in on the stage run on january 12th just uh a quarter past 10 a.m um toby price the uh a former winner of the event uh found gonsalves unconscious having gone into cardiac arrest uh, Price waited for for help to arrive, um, and you could see like the television shots of Price just in total despair. It's one of the hardest things to watch as he came across the scene, um, but unfortunately it was too late. Gonsalves was pronounced dead when he was brought to hospital. He was 40 years old. He was a 2013 world champion of cross-country rallying uh, of Dakar veteran who had come close to victory so many times, second overall in 2015. Uh, just switched to his uh, just switched to a new team this year. He had finished in the top ten for three straight days. Obviously, a lot of tributes coming in from the cross country rallying community uh, to Palo, who was obviously a tremendous competitor and somebody who was well respected throughout that entire racing community. Um, Obviously, we send our well wishes to Paolo and his family, friends, and loved ones. After this, we'll be back to uh, to carry on with our with the rest of our show. Obviously a very difficult transition to go into our uh, winter sports car classic. Again, we are Motorsport 101. RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, Cam Buckley, and Krista Hardy filling in for your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. Um, the weirdest thing we saw all this past fortnight, um, a Dubai 24 hours where a guy getting pushed into a, a moving vehicle was probably the second wildest thing that happened. Or oh, maybe it was the wildest my, and the other thing that probably happened. tied. I, I'd give it a tie because uh, someone call a janitor because we got a hot mess to talk about. Did they not see that Cutter MotoGP race where it basically like pissed down before the start of MotoGP race and they almost had to call the whole thing off? Apparently like, not. Now, like, I know it does not rain in the desert, but when it rains and you that's have kind no of the operative system, problem here, yeah, there there was not adequate drainage, and in in the grade one rules for the FIA uh, for circuit grading with the FIA, you're supposed to have quote unquote adequate draining. Now, adequate is entirely up for uh, up for interpretation, but this was not adequate. 
by any yeah, stretch of the I imagination. Mean, like, but the thing is, the it rain... wasn't just it wasn't just a circuit issue. Like there were images coming out from across Dubai of pretty much Dubai becoming unpassable yeah, that, in that's, motor vehicles. Yeah, it now, was, don't get me wrong. This amount of rain would have brought any track anywhere in the world down. Yeah. But the track was more or less unraceable within 20 minutes of initial rainfall. Yeah. yeah th- we only got seven hours of racing in before the race was inevitably called off. Um, Each of the race, 2019 the was 24. Way worse. Way, way worse than Daytona last year. Um... Uh, just the pictures of turn two days after the fact still underwater. Yeah. Like you could tell like once, once the water started, you know, start to build up, go from standing water to like knee deep water and even deeper. Like you could tell by how muddy the water was that the whole drainage system was full of sand. Yeah. And as it stood, there was no way they were going to ever get the race restarted. Unless they got their boats. And uh, as RJ said, they had to call the race after only seven hours of running. Yeah. There's, There's pictures uh, of the uh, of the track during the night with all the cars lined up on the grid during the red flag. And it's up to it's halfway up the wheels. This amount yeah, of standing it's, water. It's up to the wheel nut. You could see like half of the front stretch being flooded. Turn two disappears under the water. Yep, and all said and done, they only, what, got seven out of the 24 hours in? Correct. And they had to call yeah. it hours in advance as well, because there was still, you know, uh, under normal circumstances, they could have left it later, but I think it was called with three or four hours yeah. still yeah, left was, on the clock. There was no way they were getting back to this. Um, also, Eli Manning is announcing his retirement on Friday by the time you're listening to this. Um, so... Let's talk first about the Rolex 24. Um, it's coming up by the time you're listening. You may already be watching the Rolex 24 or listening to it. Um, so we're going to talk about it because it's one of the two big 24-hour endurance races with star-studded driver lineups, factory participation, participation from from drivers in multiple disciplines. Um it's, it's a good time. Arguably, it might be stronger at this point, even with a record low entry list of only 38 cars, uh, than Lamai is with maybe 15 to 20 more cars. Yeah, the nice thing that. about this is you could say uh, quality over quantity in this case. All right. So um, why don't we start with uh, by going over our Pro-Am classes, which would be LMP2, a.k.a. Orica Cop, R.I.P. Rick Rear Racing, you tried very, very well to get that Riley prototype one more run. I don't know if it had been a good one. Uh, and then, of course, the GT Daytona class, which is your bot standard GT3 category. Um, so I'm looking at this five-car LMP2 list, and there's one entry that just screams at me. The 81 Dragon Speed Car with Ben Hanley, Henrik Hedman, Colin Braun, and Harrison Newey. I'm thinking just off the top of my head, that's a car that's probably winning this by about 10 laps if all goes their way. I I would disagree. I oh, was actually, go on. I was looking at that Starworks number 8 car with Ryan Dial, 
David Hanemeyer Hansen, Nicholas Lapierre, and John Ferrano. And John Ferrano. Yeah, that's good as well. I mean, obviously it's good that LMP2 looks healthy because uh, last year it certainly was not. And it's good that there will be five cars participating and some very good ones, at least for Lama. Um, Chris, you're obviously there at Daytona. Are there? Uh, what should we look for in LMP2 this year? Um, if it's anything like last year, it's whoever runs into the least amount of trouble wins. But the sad thing is that's true of any class. Um, really, it's it's going to be more of a fight this year because last year you only had four cars that were actually running in LMP2 at Daytona. But yeah. You're, when you look at how they're running this year compared to last year, there's a few differences as well. Um, first of all, the bronze driver has to qual- every car has to have a bronze rated driver. Yes. Every bronze rated driver has to qualify and start the race. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, the LMP2 championship is six races, does not include the Rolex 24. It is a standalone event that resu- whose results do not count for the overall LMP2 championship. Mm. So it doesn't matter how they do here, whether it's good or bad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So that could be very interesting. I'm looking at Starworks. I'm looking at Dragon Speed. I'd keep my eye on PR1 Matthias and Motorsport because Simon Trummer and Gabriel Aubrey as your pro drivers are two very solid guys. And of course, this is the first half of Ben Keating's dual class double header. Uh, they will be bringing the Wins motor oil purple and orange to that 52 car. Don't get disqualified this time. GT Daytona. Lot of big names. Kyle Busch, Shane Van Gisbergen, Nikki Team, Towns Bell, Catherine Leg, Christina Nielsen, AJ Allmendinger, oh, Bill, Bill Oberlin. God, there's a lot of depth. Uh, Dennis Olsen is in this field, too. Um, it's it's your biggest class, 18 cars in total. Um, King, are you looking up and down this list? And what, do you, what are you looking forward to seeing out of GTD? Because it's going to be close. Yeah, it's, it's going to be close. It's going to be competitive. Uh, after the roar, don't know how much I could gauge the times for the Lamborghinis, but... Uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> did kind of happen. I'm not too pressed that much about... Because it's, what, you're fighting for pit stall placement in a 24-hour race. Yeah, but it's the principle a- of getting disqualified in testing. Yeah, fair, fair. You're right. All right, I can see that point there. Yeah, I um, uh, yeah. So yeah, so the big of uh, American interest is that your reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Busch is in one of the Aim Vassar Sullivan Letsis Letsi Letsises. Uh, he'll be with IndyCar alum Jack Hawksworth. Shane Van Gisbergen is in the other car with uh, noted NBC commentator Townsend Bell and Road to Indy prospect alumnus Aaron Tielitz. Um Goodness, there is a lot of good talent in this field. I, I can't pick a winner. Can you, Cam? Mm, it's a very good class. My bias is telling me the Lumberjack Porsche because uh, Dennis Olsen, Lars Kern, Patrick Pile, and Zachary Robichon. Chris, who are you looking at as a potential favorite to win GT Daytona? If there can be a favorite. I'm torn between two cars. I'm torn between the Kyle Busch Lexus and the uh, the all-female Lamborghini. So, GRT Grasser has actually won um, 
the Rolex 24 the last two years in a row and the Lamborghini. Yeah. Um, so I can't see any reason to go against the grassers. And quite frankly, I just think that the all girl lineup is, um, is quite frankly the best lineup that you're going to see in the, uh, in the grasser lineup in the grasser yeah. stable. Uh, that being said, the grasser lineup did go through a bit of a change recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Rahel Frey uh, is substituting for Bia Figueredo because Bia's having a kid. Yes, that is uh, that is also known as Ana Briet, the driver also known as Ana Beatriz from her IndyCar days. Bia Figueredo is having her first child, so congratulations, Bia. I know Christina Nielsen, Catherine Legg, Tatiana Calderon, and Rahel Frey are going to do her very proud. That being said, that being said, when you look at the Aim Vasher Sullivan uh, team. They won two races this past year uh, with the Lexus RCF. Um, they had, you know, some downtime in the later part of the year, but they they've really come on strong. And this is their second full year as a team, and I think they're going to be a bit of a force to be reckoned with. Um, so let's look out for uh, that. Now the number twelve is is the car that finished second last year, but I think the fourteen is going to do pretty well uh, uh, come this weekend coming up. Let's not discount either the two Acuras of, of Meyer Shank race. Yeah, we haven't mentioned, yeah. you know, the team that won the championship last year. Yeah. These are about as good a Pro-Am uh, GT3 lineups as you can get. When you have Alvaro Parent, A.J. Allmendinger, Trent Hinman, and Misha Goikberg in one car, and a lineup headed by Mario Fombarker, Jules Gunyan, Matt McMurray, and Shinya Sean Machimi in another. Well, if I may... Um... You, one of y'all might have the answer to this. When's the last time a class winner at the Rolex ended up winning the championship? That's a very mm. good question. I I can't recall in in this uh, this equivalent category. I don't recall it in the IMSA era, the unified era, I should say. So that may be something to think about. Um, again, this is GT Daytona is spoiled spoiled for choice. Um, there's nine different manufacturers involved. Balance of performance is usually very, very excellent in this category in particular throughout the whole season. It's definitely one to watch. Uh, the first of our all-pro categories is the seven-car bar fight. No Ford this year, obviously riding their uh, their Academy Award uh, high. Well, we know that's because the Ford GT program shuttered. But still, GT Le Mans, the new Corvette, the revised Porsche, the big M8, and a Ferrari from Texas. Oh, uh, what, what, what so- some would call the main event. Man, this class is stacked. So to run down the field, the Risi Competizione Ferrari is James Collado, Alessandro Pergridi, Daniel Serra, and Davide Rigon. Uh, the two BMWs are in the 24, John Edwards, Augusto Farfus, Chaz Mostert, and Jesse Crone. The 25 is Conor Filippi, Philip Ang, Bruno Spengler, and IndyCar sensation Colton Herta. The and the two. defending winners of this race as well. Yes, B- yes, BMW did win this race last year. Very good spot there. Um, the revised Porsche GT team uh, in the 911, Matt Campbell, Nick Tandy, Fred McAwecki. In the 912, Lawrence Vanther, Earl Bamber, Matthew Jaminet. And, of course, the retooled Corvette racing team in the three, Antonio Garcia, Jordan Taylor, and Nikki Katzberg. In the four, Oliver Gavin, Tommy Milner, and Marcel Fossler. Where do you start with this? The Corvettes. Um, they're new. They're new uh, and they're, they're mid-engined. They're new. They, were, they are mid-engined. 
They no longer shake the very earth you stand upon when you they go by. But uh, they looked good in testing. They got positive BOP changes after testing. And Pratt and Miller do a damn good job. <clears throat> so you're confident in them. How are you feeling about the Porsche boys? Because you had, you had mentioned that some of the drivers felt that this car works better at Daytona than it did last year. Yeah, the general feeling out of the Porsche camp is that this car is better around Daytona than the old car ever was. Yeah. And when you consider that uh, last year, until um, Atlantic Ocean fell upon the track, Nick (laughs) Tandy was kicking that ass up and down the street. That should be a shot across the bow of everybody. Uh, King, I got a feeling, though. And Cam and Chris, you know, because we watch Petit Le Mans together. I know better than to count out Reese Competizione just because they're not a full-blown factory effort. RJ Harwood was the same budget. wavelength. Like, seriously, I was about yeah, to no. say Reese was my pick to win this because, like, the pressure's on them to perform well so that Ferrari would give them more money. Oh, yeah, definitely, because they've only had the budget to run a part-time schedule these last few years. I talked with folks at the team, and they weren't sure if they were pretty coy to – if they were saying last fall, if they were going to be here now, obviously they are here now. They've got the drivers. They've got the team to do it. They have the experience. And, of course, there's BMW, who, of course, won the race last year under emotional circumstances after the passing of Charlie Lam. Um, obviously, Colton Hurd is going to get a lot of the attention, um, as he damn well should, because he's Indi- he's the future of IndyCar in the eyes of many. So that should be interesting to see. Um, how the M8 program continues on without all of BMW's weight behind it. Maybe you sent him one too many memes. It's not our fault that you have no sense of humor. Just saying. Um, it's not DPI. our fault you built the biggest damn car in the world. Well, Colton Hurd won't be driving with the Infinity Gauntlet this time around. Oh, well, this damn. Time, hopefully he doesn't accidentally snap his own car. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. That's... Typically, GT Daytona, uh, BOP. Um, Lastly, Daytona Prototype International, the main event category, the category that would challenge for overall victories. Eight cars in total representing three manufacturers. Um, From your... Sweet Jesus. So, let me get through them all. From Cadillac, the number five Mustang sampling racing J.D. Miller's motorsports car of... Sebastian Bourdais, Loic Duval, and Joao Barbosa. And the number 10, Konica Minolda, Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, Ranger Vanderzand, Ryan Briscoe, Scott Ditson, and Kamui Kobayashi. And the number 31, Wheeling Racing, Action Express uh, cards, Mike Conway, Pipo Durrani, Felipe Albuquerque, and Felipe Nazar. And the number 85, JDC Miller Motorsports car of Juan Pedro Hito, Mateus Lice, Chris Miller, and Tristan Vautier. So Cadillac could go for four in a row here, realistically, with any one of these four lineups. Though in particular, it's the 5, the 10, and the 31 that have everybody's attention. No disrespect to Tristan Vautier and Mateus Lice, who probably deserve better in IndyCar. Uh, but yeah, it's between those three uh, fairly good teams. All great teams, and we know how good the Cadillac is. The Cadillac has swept this race so far in its time in IMSA. It's the best car at the nighttime. It's the best car in the rain. 
But King, think about this. You had a situation where you have to replace Jordan Taylor and Fernando Alonso with Ryan Briscoe and Scott Ditson at Wayne Taylor Race. <laughs> oh, woe is, woe is me. Yes, woe is me. I lost Fernando Alonso for Scott Dixon. This is such a downgrade. How will I ever cope? I know, right? Yeah. That's how serious Wayne Taylor Racing are about winning back that uh, that title. Um, Sepet, yeah, retaining it for 2020. Um, I look at Bourdais and Duval. I look at Bourdais in particular at, Mus- at uh, Mustang Sampling Racing, and I, I feel like, wow, this is a guy who's really going to race with a chip on his shoulder after being displaced for an IndyCar in the offseason. Yeah, and a lot of people don't necessarily realize it, but Sebastian Bourdais has been very good in sports cars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's won this race before, if I recall. I know he's won his class at In a 4GT. Yeah. 4GT pole winner, at, at the time, pole lap record holder at Le Mans. Yeah, that's good. And then the only... One of the one of the two all-platinum lineups of Conway, Durrani, Albuquerque, and Nazar. Conway was a beast at Le Mans. We all remember Durrani's heroics in 2016. Um, this is between those three cars in particular. I mean, we're trying not to leave the 85 out of the discussion because Tristan Vautier, when he's dialed in, can make that car sing, but uh, it's tough to pick. So let's go over to our Nets manufacturer, Acura Team Penske, the sits of Dane Cameron, Simon Pagano, Juan Pablo Montoya, the seven of Ricky Taylor, Elio Castroneves, and Alexander Rossi. So Acura got the BOP hammer uh, prior to this race. Do you think they've still got a chance, Cam? Uh, I did the math on what we think DPIs are making for horsepower and the amount of restrictor that got taken away. Estimating something like 30 to 40 horsepower off the top end of that car. Is that good? That is uh, that is ungood. Doesn't matter what series you're in. That's a big hit for BOP. But after all, after looking at these driver lineups, you kind of have to BOP them. Because uh, how many Indy 500s is that? <laughs> Let's see. The one of Simon, the two of Montoya, the three of Castroneves. That's, oh no, and the one of Rossi. That's a combined seven Indy 500 wins. And yep. of course, they have Dane Cameron, who was undisputedly the category's best all-around driver last year. Yep, and of course, defending champion alongside Juan Pablo Montoya. Who is still kicking ass going into his age 45 season. And Ricky Taylor's no slouch because he can put on decisive moves at this track just as Felipe Albuquerque. Yep, and 2017 DPI champion alongside his brother Jordan. So we know they've got the talent to win this. The question is, will the race fall in their favor if they can't make it up on speed? And then, speaking of speed, uh, Mazda Team Yost. The uh, glass this is one of cannons. Will, can they finish? 55 is Jonathan Bomarito, Harry Tinknell, and Ryan Hunter-Ray. The 77 is Oliver Jarvis, Tristan Nunez, and Olivier Pla. So there's no disputing that this team with with the drivers they have, I mean, Ryan Hunter-Ray, obviously the most recognizable talent, I look at guys like Tinkle and Jarvis and Plot, who are all excellent, and you think they've got the drivers, and clearly Mazda is serious about wanting to win this race, but 
they haven't finished it yet. They also want to show their old president, who is now or their old chief uh, North Amer- North American Motorsports, who is now the current IMSA president. That hey, you know what? We're still good. So. I honestly think that the 55 Mazda is going to be my dark horse pick to win DP overall. Um, I will say to you, Christopher, stay off the weed. I said dark horse. My my pick to win overall is going to be the seven with uh, Taylor Cashinevez and Rossi. Get out of my head. Um, However, so um, the the Mazda has. We know it has the speed. It had the speed last year. We know yeah, they have set the drivers. All-time track record. All-time track record, which they broke again in testing. Damn, that's quick. I just want them to finish. They that's have not want. even made it through the night without something, something initially happening, and then something catastrophic happening. There's a reason why. On our Rolex 24 recap last year, we named the episode "Fry Active." Ah, <laughs> uh, that's still a good one. Um, and unfortunately it's not really on them because, uh, they're kind of at the mercy of AER who have a spotty track record of endurance racing engine reliability. So Cam, if I take it that the, uh, the pecking order in terms of just BOP is how it's adjusted. It's cattle is on speed. It's Mazda Cadillac Acura. <sighs> Can't really tell. Yeah. It's tough to tell. Um, we, I mean, we Cam- saw last year, Merce- uh, Mercedes. Mazda was seven tenths clear of the field in testing and in early in qualifying. I was on my way to the bowling alley when I learned that both of them had blown up. (laughs) And then, of course, you know, when we got to the race, while it was dry, it was them and Acura just beating each other over the head with a hammer. Eight entries in total. Um, King, based on the talent that's available... Uh, based on everything you've heard about the testing and balance of performance up, who would you reckon has, who would you pick to win this race? Oh God. Like, obviously like I, I really want to believe that again, Cadillac does have a BOP advantage though. I, I, I think it's, probably gonna be the number seven Acura winning it with Elio, Rossi, and Taylor. So that's Chris, Cam, and yourself, King, who have now picked the number seven. Yes. I guess that leaves me to be the one to rock the boat and tell you that the 31 of Conway, Durrani, Albuquerque, and Nazar is going to win the Rolex 24. Amazing. I'm not the contrarian for once. <laughs> Truly rare. Oh my goodness! No, I mean, keep in you mind go also wrong. a lot of this depends on the weather because last year, well, it we were talking a lot. Last year, we were having to talk to you from the Motorsport One Hundred and One submarine. We were talking about a race that my boyfriend described as a very fun and entertaining boat race. Not wrong, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, the Cadillac is cleanly the best car in the rain. Conversely, mm-hmm. the Acura is awful in the rain. Saw that at Sebring. Oh boy, did we. Okay, so according to racecastweather.com, oh no, I'm looking at an article for 2015. So while I vamp for this, um, we're also uh, looking into the Rolex 24. 
no, not the roll. It's 24. The bathroom's 12 hours. That's what I meant to say. Aha, there we go. Uh, mid to high 60s and mostly sunny times of clouds and sun by the time we get in the race. Saturday and Sunday at 1.40 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, watch it on MCTV TV internationally. Watch it on NBC Sports Network uh, in the United States. Uh, go get yourself the uh, the track pass if you want it. That's fine. I'm, I'm not your dad. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. Uh, Bathurst 12 Hour is immediately the week after this, and that snuck up on me. So we should definitely talk about that. Uh, Speaking of stacked lineups. Stacked upon stack upon stack upon stack. Uh, there have only been a partial reveal of the drivers that are in this, but of those that are there... Um, Cam, I know which one you're looking right at, and it's number one with a uh, with a golden bullet. Wearing number one proudly, Earl Bamber Motorsport, with team owner Earl Bamber, teammate Lawrence Vantor, uh huh, and Craig Lowndes. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! No one saw that coming. You know what's really weird is that Matt Campbell, the guy who made the decisive move, has been moved out of Earl Bamber Motorsports. He's in a different car. Him, Matt Jaminet, and Patrick Peely in the 911 Absolute Racing Car. I do uh, believe that was a Porsche decision. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, true. just... We got Scott Ditson in this one, too, driving the Castrol Vantage for our motorsport with Rick Kelly, a Supercars champion, and Jake Dennis, who so nearly won the race last year, bless his heart. Oh, that uh, that Castro livery is fire. Oh my god, it is. It really Speaking is. of fire liveries, Audi Sport Team Valvoline. Oh, those Mark Martin throwbacks. Um, Vanthor, Hassa, Vervish in the two. Uh, Vanderlinda, Drudy, and Winkelhock in the 222. And the 22 of Tander, Garth Tander, Christopher Meese, and Mirko Bordelotti. But I'm looking down this entry list, and y'all, it's time to bow to your Godzilla. The 18 KCMG Nissan GTR of Josh Bird and Sujio Matsuda and Katsubasa Chio. That's going to be my pick to win the race. I don't care if it's partisan. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how that car does, because I, I remember watching that race when I was living it right oh, outside New do. Orleans, and... The sight of that car doing those moves late like that, uh, it's its burned into my brain. I can't unsee that. <laughs> there is definitely more uh, supercars talent um, in the field with Jamie Wincup and Shane Van Gisbergen on the same Triple Eight Mercedes team together with Maximilian Goetze. Um, there is Romain Dumas in another Pro-Am Porsche from the Ned Racing Team. Uh, David Reynolds is in Sun Energy One Racing's Mercedes. It's, can you just stop right there? It feels really weird that Romain Dumas is Pro-Am now. Does that feel weird, weird to anyone? Anton de Pasquale in, a, in the Ben Motorsports car. I mean, these two races, if you're, if you're an avid fan of endurance racing, we know you're going to watch. Uh, but... If you're getting into this in the first for the first time ever, uh, this is your first time taking in endurance racing, and you had to pick just one race to watch that wasn't Le Mans, you would either be hard-pressed to pick. Yeah, you, the, either one of these are good. These are true all-star races of their series. The driver lineups are phenomenal. The tracks are phenomenal. Watching the oh, yeah. sun come up over Bathurst is 
an unbelievable experience. It's erotic. It really is. Uh, I'll say that it's it's absolutely a beautiful site. Um, so definitely go ahead and check that on out. Um, we do have more motorsport to look forward to, including the running of the rally uh, Monte Carlo. Uh, that's this weekend at time of recording. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks' time to review that, get our impressions of Season 2 of Drive to Survive, catch up on everything else. Um, Kane, we got anything else to, re- to talk about? <laughs> no, that's pretty much it. All right, then uh, if nobody else has any objections, then it's time we bid you all farewell. Thank you again for listening. You can again find us at motorsport101.com. For all podcast, written material, videos, the whole lot. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Your hosts have Twitters. There's a Patreon you can sub to. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all our shows. Ten dollars gets you into the supporters club of our Discord. Audience pulse check. We still got some stragglers here. We got Tony. We got Steven. We got Jason here. Thank you all so much for being here the long haul, those who've listened live, and to those who are listening now as you're going about your day. We thank you very much for listening to this episode of Motorsport 101, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time to uh, to check back with you all going into this new year. So, for Krista Hardy, for Cam Buckley, for Ryan King, and for Andre Harrison, I'm RJ O'Connell. Saying so long and catch you guys next time. Later, y'all. Bye. See you. Till next time.